0: Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on,
1: get paid. And all that winners is going. only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to the final uh, NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast for the 2018 season. Uh, joined by, with uh, Wilfred here. Um, to review the season. Are you relieved, Wilfred, or, uh, or a little bit gutted that the season's over now?
0: I think, personally, uh, I'm a little bit relieved. Uh, the last two months or so, I was just slowly, slowly dreading each week, waiting for lockout, uh, expecting a, another you know slide in the rankings, with my team just had, couldn't quite get the, the right couple of players in for the last couple of weeks, so it was a painful end to the season. Um, so, yeah, kind of glad it's all over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pretty much the same. I was, um, my team was, was running on fumes the last, the last sort of five or six weeks. Um, so it was a really, really tough going. I was kind of though in, in the last three weeks, I was sort of looking forward to January next year, um, which is normally it's quite unusual for me. Like I, I'm normally really going hammer and tongs for that last month of the season, but I just found the um, the run of Things that were happening at the tail end of this season, which we'll get to, meant that I just felt pretty useless in being able to do anything, and just really wanted to pick my team again for next year and start again. Yeah,
0: totally agree on that one.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's a good segue. So um, let's get started, mate. We um, we're going to go through first our our top three um, things that we got right for the year that we think you know were good calls by each of us with our teams and that helped us have. Well, decent enough seasons, Uh, and then look at three of the things that we think derailed our seasons for the year. And to be honest, looking at three things that derailed our seasons, I think we both agree with this. It's probably not enough things to look at. We could probably list 10 or 12 things that we weren't happy with this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can certainly count more things I did wrong than the draft this year, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start off on a positive note, mate. Um, Let's talk about our our small games, our wins that we thought we, we nailed for this Supercoach season, um, I'll go first. Um, for me, uh, looking at my starting side, there was a few things um, that I really liked that I did. Uh, one of them that I nailed was um, going uh, Cook and Havili as my hookers with no Smith. So I um, spoke about it in the preseason pods with Billy. Um, quite a bit and I was pretty adamant that I was going to leave Smith out um, and we were both pretty confident that Cook was going to be a 70 plus average type of player Um, so that was one thing that um, was a pretty big call to to not start with Smith and go with Cook that I was really happy with that really really helped me out helped my team out Um, likewise as well similar uh, big call at fullback where me and Billy were calling that Ponga might hit 70 um, as an average, while his goal kicking ended up at about sixty six points but um he lost the goal kicking midway and um I started pong instead of turbo, so that worked out pretty well initially, so I was pretty happy with those um i guess the hook of full back calls um that I made for those ones yeah, looked
0: it uh, sounds like they they really worked out um I had the same feelings about cooking pong, so I also started with them but i instead of severely, I did go with Smith. Um, And just like you, I also went with Teddy, so I had my um, hookers, well, I I never traded either of those two out the whole year, so I was locked in. Um, And with my fullbacks, uh, I I mean, Pong, I stayed in my team the whole year, but I did
1: uh, trade out Teddy, which was uh, not my best moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a tough one. I mean, those those were good starting moves, um, and ones that I think we both nailed. Um which a lot of coaches actually didn't um but sort of during the year some of those um some of those good starts we kind of stuffed up a little bit with some of the moves that we made but um the other uh the second thing on my list i've got mid range ford bonanza um so I reckon i nailed the mid range ford bonanza this year it's um been called the um the year of the mid Ranger a few times uh in past years and hasn't quite worked out um this year i started with guys like kickout rfm tpj and arrow um all of which really paid off for me so in prior years um i've started off with maybe half a dozen mid-range forwards when i've gone a bit crazy and it's not worked out very well i've ended up training out you know five out of those six guys or four out of those six guys because they haven't worked out and they've been really bad calls um, but my mid ranges this year actually worked out really well, um, and I went for it, and it paid off really, really well for me, um, with obviously kick, kick out, RFM, TPJ, and Arrow all having really good seasons, all being borderline keepers. So uh, I feel like that I, I nailed that pretty well this year. Did you end up getting on the mid-range forward train, or you sort of had to chase after the round sun? I had a couple. I also had
0: guy junior and kick out in my starting team um so I didn't, RFM, I, I was really on the borderline risk. But I eventually, um, somehow, I found some extra coin and upgraded him to Takeahu. So that was a big regret for me, um, because I did have RFM in there, because obviously it was a little cheap. Um, but I somehow, I can't remember what I did, but I tweaked some other player and then, you know, freed up some coin, and then that turned into Takeahu who wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but that was a bit disappointing. Yeah, and yeah, arrow. I mean, I went Cardi instead of Arrow, so that wasn't great either. Uh, so I had Latu and Cardi instead of Arrow. So two Titans forwards, wrong
1: ones, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I remember these Latu discussions mid-season. I was so low on, on Latu, and you were so high on him.
0: Oh, he was so much better at the Panthers. And I really, I genuinely believed in him uh, from a super coach standpoint. I didn't think he was an absolute, you know. I don't think he was going to kill it, but, you know, he came off Brennan, and uh, the, the signs pointed to him having a good year, but obviously he didn't.
1: So, yeah, good call on Arrow. <laughs> yeah, um, the last one on my list that I've got here, uh, just just one word, Fergo. He, um, <laughs> he was my shining light this year, and I've hung my hat on that call so many times um, in so many chats and things, mainly because I completely screwed up my center wing so badly that, um, you know, that Fergo was such a saving grace for me. Um, and he was pretty much the only thing I got right in center wing for most of the year. So, um, I was pretty big on him in the preseason. Um, I thought he was underpriced. Um, and I thought that he could bust out. Um, I ended up starting with Daniel Tupo instead of him, but we, me and Billy both spoke up about Fergo and Tupo both being pretty good options with the roosters draw, and the seasons that they had coming up. Uh, Tubo obviously got injured early on, um, but I managed to go Tubo to Fergo very early when uh, I think that Fergo had only averaged about 45 points, um, maybe four rounds in, something like that. Um, and I got Fergo for 433k, uh, and then obviously he, he peaked at around 700k in his price. Um, he was never um, 430k or below again um, after I purchased him. And from when I purchased him, he went on to average around 68 points. And for the season, he was around 65 points. So, one of the few shining lights in my center wing decisions, Wilfred. Yeah, this
0: is very cool. I remember those chats we had, actually, because I also started with Tupor. So, all the preseason, I wanted to start with either Tupor or Fergo. Uh, even throughout Madison for a while, but then I thought, I um, uh, can't, can't trust a minute, so I steered myself away. But then, um, yeah, once Tipper went down, you know, we, we kind of, I think we had those chats where we were thinking, like, do did do we go two-post Fergo or two-post Matto? So I went Matto and you went Fergo, and I think you definitely
1: got the better end of the bargain there in the end, <laughs> so it was a great call from you. So this is feeling really, really good, talking about all the nice things that we did and the, the big wins that we had and the great decisions. <laughs> I'm feeling on top of the world now, so... Let's not get to the... Yeah,
0: uh... a couple of other good calls, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, what are Especially,
0: you... Um, one, of the, one of the other good calls I felt I did make was um, I uh, jumped on Angus Crichton pretty early. I got him in round eight, yep. whereabouts. So that was, uh, I think in the end, I mean, he ended up one of the best secondary forwards. So happy I did that. Um, I also jumped on Fitzgibbon, had a good time, just when he went on a bit of a tri scoring run, um, and then I managed to ditch him before he started, you know, going nuts so well. Before he he had, he had a late surge again, but in the middle he wasn't so good. So that was good, and um, also got on Ryan James at the at a good time, just when he'd um, I got on the week after he went nuts, but I still got the ride a couple of you know times he he dropped in the coming weeks as well, so. Yeah, I had a couple of good moves. Um, unfortunately, not every single one went that well. So, I guess uh, we might talk about some of our not so good trades, perhaps.
1: I've got to give you some props for the Ryan James call, though. I was um, I was immensely jealous um, because I've been burned by Ryan James so many times before, and um, I was so jealous when you brought him in, and he just had those three tons in a row. And I actually I think I spoke to you about it, but I spoke to a few of the guys around about it of trying to get Ryan James in for that round 17 game when he didn't make the origin team. Um, and I was even considering paying $700,000 out of my cap to try and get him in. And I was, I was about two K short. Um, that ended up being a godsend because it made me, um, think don't chase Wilfred. He's already got the month's worth of good points and, um, an extra 200 grand on his price. Just leave it. Don't try and chase it, Barnsley. And, um, I left it thankfully, because obviously Ryan James went through the floor after that, but, that
0: was a great month that you got out of it. Yeah, it's, I, I did. It felt like um, all year I kind of got on quite a few players for a good you know a month or so, but then none of the guys I jumped on really could sustain it. And uh, unfortunately, the one guy I never got on was Valentine Holmes, and he was the one who really sustained it. So um, I'm sure the, the numbers have been thrown around, but I mean, since I think it was around 10 onwards, he averaged about 87 or, or thereabouts for the rest of the year, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Not having him was basically the killer for my
1: season. Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty crazy. And like the last thing that I had written down for the stuff that I nailed, um, is that I half nailed my trades, and half nailed was because up until halfway through the season, and it was literally right on halfway, it was when we got to that first big buy. I had made the perfect trade. Every single week. Like, the guy that I got rid of that I was a bit worried about um, ended up being the perfect guy to get gotten rid of. He either got concussed the next week or didn't didn't score well or, you know, stopped going up in cash or lost his job and got dropped, um, like Cardi and things like that. Um, And it was just perfect. And every guy that I brought in, it it was like I could do no wrong. Um, It really kept my season afloat that first 12 rounds when I was struggling to score points because of my captaincy issues. Um, I still ended up scoring pretty well because I was nailing every trade. Of course, from round 13 onwards, um, everything I touched turned to crap and was completely the wrong move. So (laughs) it was um, a tale of two halves. but definitely I nailed the first half of the season as far as the trades go. Um, But I think we're both pretty positive now and feeling good about ourselves. So let's move on to the the stuff ups, the things that sort of derailed our season um, and mistakes that we made that we kind of want to review for next year. What do you think your um your top few things are this season that really derailed you?
0: Yeah, I guess we have a good call I'm at the start of the year. I mean, a couple of bad ones. So I started with Rapata. I started with Milford. I started with JT. And I think, um, I guess, yeah, the likes of Mara and Pauke Aho probably weren't the best chicks at the start of the year, so... Um, and obviously, players. So, yeah, uh, there were a couple of names in there that um, really did help my season. Obviously, you know, the, the anger at Milford and Rapana at the start of the year was pretty, pretty full on because both of them, you know, performed well below their price. I think they dropped between the two of them, uh, they dropped uh, over 200 grand each um, when they hit their bottom. So, some people got on both of those guys when they were quite cheap and obviously reaped benefits of that. So, yeah, that obviously put a real dent in my team value. Yeah, I was very similar to you, mate. I um,
1: I started with both Rapana and Milf, and I was really confident with both. Um, I thought Milf was a little bit undervalued. I thought Rapana was expensive, but he was going to anchor the centre wing position, which I thought would be a bit of a nightmare, and I was sort of half right with that, except Rapana didn't play well. <laughs> um, and I also started with Marin, being a big Marin fan. And the other big name that I actually started with that I thought was going to do well is um, uh, Papali from the Raiders. I he was terrible to start the year. Like I was, um, I thought he was going to be a phenomenal pod, and he was just absolutely horrendous. So, for the ones that I got right, I was I was same as you. That was one of my mistakes. I um, started with some similar guys that just didn't get rolling. But let's let's roll off some stats, and um, I want to get your take on it with this mistake for this year. Um, Anthony Milford, let's talk about him. He finished with a 55 point average. The seasons prior, he was 70, 67, 65, 65. Like he was like clockwork 65 to 70 for four years. And he's dropped down to 55. And I didn't I've seen improved super coach form, but that sort of drop-off. and one of my reasonings for holding him, you know, eight weeks ago was that's what a drop-off just doesn't happen. I just kept waiting for him to revert to the mean. Um, you very rarely see when a guy is you know, mid-20s, prime of his career, uh, no real changes as far as changing teams or position. You very, very, very rarely see super coach someone drop off to that degree. Do you think this is going to be a, an outlier season or do you really think it's a cause for concern and he's just never going to get back to where he was the four years before? I think I'm actually quite positive for next year. Um, I think this is going to be
0: an outlier. The reason being is um, if you look at, say, his last 10 weeks of the year, he averaged 65.4. So he really got himself back up to the, you know, better standards. And I think a lot of that came down to, like, the first two months really the Broncos were rubbish. They were not playing good footy. And that translated to, you know, the whole team struggling. Uh, and obviously Milford being one of the key players in the Broncos team, if they're not travelling well, he's not going to go well either. So that was a major issue. I think the problem. I mean, obviously I'm a Broncos fan, so I watched him really closely. A lot of the times he was just. I think he was being tasked to do a job that he doesn't do naturally, and that was obviously to lead the team as the dominant playmaker. So he was <clears throat> he was given the kicking duties. Um, He was given the game management duties and things like that, which, you know, that's not him as a player. Well, it wasn't at the start of the year. And I think he got better and better as the season went. And you saw, like, really the last two, three months, like, he's just been such a different player. Um, And he's just been able to, you know, improve his kicking game, his game management, his game awareness. He's starting to balance when he can run, when he can kick, when he can you know, choose when to, to, you know, come into the game and things like that. So uh, I think that can only get better. And I think, um, you know, he was also really unlucky. Like I was watching a, a bit of a package of highlights of his year. Um, he had so many 40-20s just go so begging by like a meter or something like that. Uh, he, he went for it a lot because he was obviously the primary kicker and he could have easily kicked about eight that just literally bounced like one bad bounce and the ball went out, you know, at the twenty-one meter line or something like that. So yeah, I can see that being an area of real improvement for next year. Um, and I, I just yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident for him for next year, as long as obviously the Broncos keep getting better. And if I mean, there's no reason they don't. I mean, like the the core of the team is going to stay the same. They're barely losing anybody important next year. Um, yeah, they don't have a halfback, but to be honest, he's really taken on that role now, and he's gotten good at it. So I think it's going to be a, you know, maybe he's not going to be a 70-plus average because he's not going to be able to run the ball every time he gets the ball. But I think he's going to be a, you know, a 60-plus, 60 65-plus, um, because he's going to get a lot of the, you know, four-stop outs and 40-20s and you know all those kinds of stats as well.
1: Yeah, that's fair, and I um I don't disagree um too much on on that analysis either. Looking at his numbers, though, there was a. He's out of 24 games, he hit 60 plus in only nine of them. Um, And if you look at his first half of the season, he only did it twice. Um, He was quite, I won't say fortunate, his form picked up. um, But in his last dozen games, he went 60 plus seven times. Um, So maybe that was either a sign of things to come, which is the glass half full, or it's a real concern that um, he sort of just scraped in getting. You know, nine sixty-plus games as it was, just because he had a good run towards the back end. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I think probably the silver lining for um, for people like me and you who might consider him next year is that because he did have such a bad drop off and such a poor season, I don't think many coaches are going to consider him next year.
0: Yeah, be a good pod, I reckon. Um, you know, it's... the fact that he picked up his numbers. I mean, if you look at his first. Um I mean you compare the last ten rounds to his first, you know, twelve, thirteen rounds. He set up one two, like four four tries and four tries he scored in the first fourteen rounds. And then he scores two tries but sets up about uh twelve tries in the second half of the year. So Definitely, as the team improved, and obviously, you know, a lot of people have seen the Broncos' team has been better. Definitely, the last couple of months, and that's you know, a lot of that's off the back of Milford being able to, you know, improve his game. And yeah, I, I I think if you think the Broncos are going to be decent next year, I see no reason to stay away from Milford, basically.
1: All right, I'm kind of in agreement with that. But um, I've thrown you a bone here and let you talk about your man crash Milford for about five minutes. So we'll move on. <laughs> no. um, the other, the other thing that I've taken away from this though, and this is a mistake that um, you made, but I did the same thing as well. I'm not going to spend anywhere near as much as I did on a center wing this year in Rapana. That's just not happening next year. That was an error. Um, not going to do it, and particularly with how center wing went, which we'll talk about a bit later. And um, also Trent Merin, um he was a um, a prior gun that whose downfall was um, had had a lot of red flags that his downfall was coming, and um, I'm going to be pretty wary on um, trying to resurrect any prior guns that have that have died already. And I shouldn't be getting on for round one. I should be watching. So those are my big takeaways from from that one. But um, what other things um, did you have that you thought you could have done better this year or kind of derailed your season?
0: I think for me, I mean, my strategy for overall always to be pushing hard from the start, trading hard for the buys and things like that. So I've always burnt a lot of trades in the opening half of the year and then traded as I needed for the back end. Um, I, think, I think I probably didn't plan well enough for the new kind of buy structure. Probably burnt too many trades in the first half of the year than I should have. And I left myself too short at the end to be able to get all the, you know, the guys who are really informed, like, for me to not have enough trades to be able to afford, uh, you know, the likes of Holmes and Latrell and all of that, like, that was just, you know, really, really critical for my season in the end. Like, I mean, I started off, like, round one, I, I came out and I was around 30,000. Um, so I pushed hard, obviously. I wanted to get myself, you know, within... Stay to the top 1000 by the time of the first buy, so come around 12, I was ranked 1000 at 39. So I'd gotten myself up there, and then um, you know, I made a couple of moves to try to keep moving up. and I got myself by round 15 up to my season high of 159. So at that point, I was about 500 550 points off the top, you know, the top leaders. So I think at that point, I was starting to run low on trades, I wasn't you know happy with how many trades I had left, but I figured I was just, you know, I made the decision to just go for it. And I made a couple of pod moves at that point in time. So, yeah, in hindsight, my strategy was all wrong. I should have just, um, you know, stayed the course. I'd probably trade out guys I didn't need to, um, you know, and like Arrow, as soon as he got injured, I mean, I probably could have held him because he came back two weeks later and scored like 90 plus. Um, you know, I, I made a lot of knee-jerk trades trying to catch up and keep pushing for the leaders. So I think in hindsight, you know, a couple of those trades held back. Um, you know, I could have ended up scoring more points than, than what I'd ended up doing. Um, and then trying to be too cute at the end of the year with my Teddy to RTS trade was probably, um, you yeah, the, the nail in the coffin. <laughs> so I didn't need to do that. And obviously <clears throat> it was good for about four or five weeks because RTS, You know, because Teddy had two weeks off, like one for Origin and one for um, being rested. So that was good for that week, for sure. But I think, you know, after about six weeks, I think Teddy caught up to where RTS had scored over the six-week period because, you know, RTS had played six games and Teddy had played four. So, yeah, that was, um, you know, I think in, in hindsight, you know, for the sake of those extra one or two weeks, I probably didn't need to make that trade. I could have held a Teddy at short RTS comfortably for the rest of the year. I could have used that to turn into Turbo, for example, and that
1: would—you
0: yeah. know—I probably would have finished in the top two thousand easily just from that one trade. <laughs> yeah, and you probably wouldn't have, yeah, so well. sure. would have taken some of those risks as
1: well. You probably wouldn't have taken some of those risks as well.
0: absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the main takeaway there is, yeah, look, it's good to have a strategy and. It's good to take risks, but you know, sometimes the risks don't pay off, and sometimes it's better to play the play the percentages and and you know stick with the crowd um, and not try to be too cute with the pods.
1: Yeah, I, I'll defend you a little bit on this one to make you feel a little bit better. Um I um, <laughs> this I think with the trades, I, I really do think it was an outlier year because I'm very big on um trading early as well, and then. Even if I don't have trades for the last month of the season, I think I'm fine because I've got enough depth in my side and I will have like a squad of 22, 23 really good players normally. So normally that's fine. And a lot of the the top players um, in Supercoach have done that for many years. I think this year, though, um, we've never seen it where guys have busted out in the last four to eight weeks of the season from obscurity almost. Um, and become must have players in that last month of the season It just hasn't happened before like in in prior years. you always know by the halfway mark who the who the guns are, who the guys that have shown a bit of form are that you might want to get in later on as pods and stuff, and you kind of know and especially by round eighteen, you hundred percent have known every other year uh who the guys are you would never seen before someone like Valentine Holmes pop up like he did. Compared to what he did for the first dozen rounds of the season, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that that is a mistake. I reckon it derailed your season for sure because it did for me too. But I think in prior years you would have been fine. I think that you maybe just got caught out this year in a bit of a strange year. Yeah, but uh, um, I still think yeah, perhaps um, yeah, I probably didn't need to push as
0: hard as I ended up doing. Um, you know, five hundred points five. To kind of points in round 15, behind I probably didn't have to, yeah, think that I needed to take such big risks when there was still you know good 11, uh, sorry, 10 rounds, 10-11 rounds left. Um, like you know, training out a gun like Teddy for RTS. who so he did all right. I mean, don't get me wrong, he didn't score too badly at all. I think he averaged over 65 for the rest of the year still, but. Teddy was, you know, eighty plus almost. I think. Yeah, it was a. I did a similar trade, but I didn't get rid of Teddy. I got rid of Ponga to
1: RTS, and that was um, that was not too bad for me, except for the last month when I couldn't get Turbo in for RTS, and um, that's when it hurt me a little bit. So, can't be too critical because I did that, and RTS was pretty good for a while there as a pod. Um, but that leads us into a a really good chat um, on one of my lists listed um, errors for this year, and that was the great center wing divide. The um, It really turned into the last two months of the haves and have-nots. And if you didn't have Latrell Mitchell and Valentine Holmes that last two months, you're basically dead in the water um, because center wing was such a terrible year. Um, we I was looking at some stats, and um, out of the top 50 averaging players, there was only six center wings. In that top fifty, um, and in the top mm. uh, in the top thirty-five, uh, there was only four. So you had to go to you know the thirty-fifth or thirty-second player or something um, to get your four top center wing players. And that's how bad center wing was this year. But for me, um, I think it's probably similar to you. I made well, it's probably similar to a lot of people. Made a lot of mistakes in center wing. I never managed to get the guys. At the right time, when they were scoring, whoever I traded in that was scoring well went to dirt. Um, Neno McDonald being one, if I tried to be smart and play the draw like Fusatura or Lafay, they just completely went off the rails. Um, the only person that went well for me in center wing was Blake Ferguson. And Ursan Masters did too, but I traded him in probably uh, you know 12 rounds in or something. And that's when he had a really bad run of six weeks where he only averaged about 42. So even that, you know, I missed the train a little bit. Um, So, yeah, center wing, I I would say, is a massive error for me. And I think next year um, I'm going to look at it really, really differently because the stats are just crazy. To only have six center wings in the top 50 this year, if that happens again next year um, and with the roller coaster happening a similar way, There's just no point in starting with expensive guys in there, aside from maybe one. Um, You're better off just with some mid-rangers and some cheapies again and going light there and then just saving those trades so you can jump on a Valentine Holmes or one of these guys that sort of comes through in the last couple of months. So that's going to be a big change for me next year because that's probably the number one mistake that I made.
0: Yeah, look, uh, my strategy for this year was to play the draw. So I I traded deep in the center wings, so I tried to have... Um, you know, a number of options that I could play from week to week um, based on the matchup. So I think at the end of the year, my, my center wings were, so I had Masters, I had Corey Oates, I had um, Fusatua, I had Peachy, I had Nene McDonald and I also had Madison and I think uh, I'll start with Katoa because I never could trade him out in the end. But yeah, I obviously had a, a, quite a number of pods. So obviously, clearly no homes, no Latrell, no Fogo. Uh, so that obviously saw me dead in the water <laughs> yep. Come at the end of the year. But
1: Well, it was so, really...
0: Yeah, I obviously... was you go. It,
1: well, I was just going to say, it was really difficult to pick, though. I don't think that many teams actually picked it. I think that the guys that ended up doing well with their centre wing were the ones that just ended up having trades left, and they got in... Um, you yeah. know, Valentine Holmes, round 20. And, um, you know, if they didn't have Latrell Mitchell, they, they grabbed him round 22 or something. Uh, I think those are the guys that nailed Centre Wing because all the guys that you mentioned um, looked like at a time that they might have been decent options. But the problem was that there was about 30 of those guys and none of them stepped up. I mean, like we both avoided the train wreck that was you and Aitken, but, geez, how much hype did he have for a couple of weeks? And then he just went to absolute... Absolutely worst centre win that you could have had
0: in your team for about two months. Yeah, I think it's hard because some of these guys, you know, they're playing injured.
1: Like Edkins, definitely dealing with an injury.
0: Uh, there was a time when, I um, do someone else, um, Arrow, obviously, was dealing with an injury as well, and that's why he was getting cut minutes and things like that. So it's really hard when, you know, they're obviously a gun and had they not gotten injured, they probably would have been fine. They they were playing injured and, you know, you couldn't sit them because they were playing, but at the same time they weren't giving you good scores. So it was really tough. Um, I agree. The settling was so difficult. I think for me, you know, at the end of the day, like these guys, I I, I felt overall I played them pretty well. I mean, there was a few times where I benched, say, Branko. um, I benched him once for a 90-plus score, but I, I got every other decent score of his. Yep. Like in the last round, he scored you know seventy or whatever. You know, that's a good score for him. Um, there was just a few times where, you know, I'd I'd, get, I'd make the right calls, but then my trail would score one hundred and sixty.
1: Yeah, he's <laughs> he just can't, yeah,
0: can't for recover. from that. Good, yeah, exactly. So for all the good calls that I've made, you know, playing the pods, and you know, a lot of people had good rounds. Um, sorry, had had bad rounds because the the common guys were flopping, but then one common you know, a player like Mitchell or or Valentine Holmes to go 100-plus and that would just wipe out all the good work I'd, I'd, I'd done in picking, you know, the right players to play. So it was a really difficult one, definitely.
1: Well, one of the difficult things with centre wing too is when you drill down with the numbers and stuff. Um, aside from the back end of the year with Holmes and Mitchell, we'll leave Holmes and Mitchell out of this. Every single player, aside from maybe Fergo, we'll leave out as well. Outside of those three is probably the, all these center wings that did well at times went through the floor as well yep. and i mean went really really badly so Aitken was one guy that we named another guy that we haven't mentioned is adokar you know adokar was all the rage mid season um, when he scored uh you know averaged a ton over 4 weeks um and he was absolutely killing it and then he went back to averaging you know his 25 35 points for a few weeks and we didn't we didn't see him again for a couple of months you know it was just a crazy run. Um and you could say, oh well, you know, that that's happened before, but it happened with a lot of guys. You know, it's um it's quite amazing. And one little stat that I'll leave you on with this centre wing talk is the fifth and sixth best centre wings to have, so outside of you starting four, were Robert Jennings at South and Will Hoppardy at the Bulldogs. But that that just yeah. says by itself how bad it was, and neither of those guys averaged sixty. Yeah, it's it's... not fun at all this year. Like, could you imagine starting with Robert Jennings or Warhol Palladi next year? I think guys would laugh at you. But based on this, se- like based on this season, if you got their bid and you kept them as your cover, you- they're actually the fifth and sixth best center wing options. Which it's just crazy, but. Centering talk, we'll, we'll get more into that with the team of the year as well, so we'll park that one for now. Um, the the last one that I had for, on my list for things that derailed me this year, uh, I'm really interested in your take because I'm considering just throwing my game plan out the window in the future. Um, I've got playing the draws and buys was actually a big downfall for me. So every single year, I, um, I heavily plan for the buys, um, and I also heavily... Um, look at the draw for the start. So this year in particular, I wanted to get off on a really good start. Um, So I really looked at the draw a lot for that first eight weeks. And there were some teams that had really good runs. Um, The Raiders had a great run. um, And I really targeted that. And I really targeted having, you know, 14, 15 at a minimum for each of the buyers, even though that was really difficult. Both of those things um, completely killed me. So with the draw... As we know, that first couple of months, um, yeah, the Roosters didn't take advantage of their draw at all. Uh, and then the Raiders in particular, um, guys like BJ, Rapana and Papali went terrible because the Raiders went terrible for eight weeks. Milford as well uh, was another one where I partially had him in for the draw and the Broncos went terrible for the first two months despite having probably the best draw in the comp. So that was one thing. But then with the buys... Every year, that's a real strength of mine where I can really um, make a real dent in the rankings and start to move for the back half of the year run. And this year, I didn't hardly move at all. And I ended up stuck with guys like Josh Dugan, uh, Corey Oakes and Fusatua, both of which I never would have traded in if I didn't see a decent draw run and also were playing the buys as well that I needed the numbers for. So planning for the draws and playing... um, the draws and the buys really, really smashed me this year. And I've, um, I'm a little bit gun-shy about it now. I'm actually thinking next year of just going the, don't worry about the, the uh, buys until they come up and just throw the draws out the window.
0: Yeah, so I think um, you know, we, we have a pretty similar approach from what you've said. Um, I've always been big on buy planning. and Yeah, I mean, as I shared before, I don't think I had the best strategy this year. Just uh, hadn't adjusted sufficiently. Like I, I, mean, I think the buys were difficult, but they weren't as critical as before. And it showed at the end of the day, like the number of points that, that people were able to catch up um, at the back end of the year. I know guys who rolled out, you know, maybe 11, 12 players in round 12 and 17, and then they're finishing the top 1,000. And I'm not. When I played, I think I had, um, you know, 16 or for for round 12 and 14 for round seventeen so you know, I had lots of numbers for the buyers, but at the end of the day, like I, had, I ran out of trades and faded out at the back. So, so it's a delicate balance. I think. Um, I, I I think I lean towards yeah, what you're saying. You know, a lot of head-to-head teams were flying down the back end, scoring fourteen hundred points each week because they had the trades to get in the you know, the the informed players. Um, it's just yeah, I think. I'm not going to go all out and just disregard the buyers altogether, but I definitely think I'll be placing less in, less emphasis on it. Um, I did go away from the normal strategy. I've always been a big believer in base stats, base stats, base stats. Uh, that's always how I've constructed my teams, and I think I've got. I went away from that a bit this year, um, just going for the the higher ceiling players. Like, I, I, ordinarily, I'd never been in first tour. Basically, because he's got rubbish based yeah. Um You know, guys like that normally don't have a place in my team. And, and you know, I, I rolled the dice this year. And, you know, like I said, it wasn't a total flop. I mean, I, I played for some twelve for his pun and, um, you know, a couple of nice 70 plus scores at the end of the year. But he also dropped me a couple of, you know, 15, 20 point scores in the middle as well. So there's a. Yeah, that, that normally doesn't happen for my teams because I stay away from guys like that. So I think, yeah, focusing less on the draw, higher base stats, that normally nullifies this impact of a new view hard draw anyway. So uh, I think that's probably the strategy I'm going to go back to next year. Yeah, and that sounds um,
1: pretty good. It's I, I knew that you were really big on the base stats too, which is why I was really surprised this year when I was banging Fergo's drum that I couldn't get you on board, so... Normally, I think in prior years I would have had you with Fergo with his you know forty odd base. Um, I think you would have probably yeah, we,
0: jumped on. But I jumped on Mato, who had an even higher base because he was playing eighty minutes in the back row. That's what I mean. Like, I think um, you know, I might have, I might have got on board both if it wasn't the fact that you know pushing too hard in many other trades. Uh, yeah. Well, what uh, that uh, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things with the draw, too, um, is, uh, you know, I'm like you and I'm thinking about changing the strategy around a little bit because maybe this is a sign of the times. And this is, if it's going to be like this next year, you can't do the same stuff that you did this year um, unless you were Monsters Inc. and you finish first and then you, yeah, probably go for your life and do the same stuff. But um, other than that, the rest of us probably need to move with the times. But I guess, question for you, um, this has been a real weird season in real life NRL as well, where we have the bottom four teams on 32 points, the the top four on 34 points, um, and then the rest of the league was basically out of it with three weeks to spare until the semis. Um, Maybe that this type of season doesn't happen again. Maybe next year we kind of revert to the mean, do you think, and it's more like our past seasons? or. Do you think this wasn't an anomaly and kind of the way this season's played out is, is gonna be the way forward and we need to disregard the draws a little bit?
0: Yeah, look, I think you know, the whole idea of the Salic salary cap is meant to, to evening out the teams, isn't it? And I think, you know, the, the closest of this year's comp really, I guess you could say is a testament to that. Whether that's really the how it's played out or whether it's because of the you know, the penalty crackdown impacting teams in the first half of the year and, you know, then it kind of didn't hold up for the middle, you know, eight or nine weeks here and then it was back back in forth some of the time but the back end of the year, I don't know, maybe that came to you know, played play a part as well because, I guess, you know, you look at teams like the Storm and the Sharks, they they thrived when there are penalties being blown, I mean, sorry, they they, they thrived when they were able to get away a lot of stuff in the rock yeah teams oh, weren't being blown as much um, so obviously that's where in the middle of the year they those teams really you know went well But at the start of the year they weren't, that's probably why the the Tigers were able to beat the storm and the roosters and things like that because they were weren't able to get away with as much um, you know their usual tactics. so whether that happens next year, I don't know um, I think it's probably not going to be as close, obviously. Uh, but i don't think the gap between the top and the bottom teams is going to be as large and, you know you've got your the, also the fact that you know there's more and more legends the game are you know these players who were able to you know, take games and win them by themselves a lot of the time um, you know they're they're slowly disappearing and there's not that many guys in the comp now who are who are on that level so i think that probably comes into play as well um, because, you know, the likes of Smith, Burst, and trunk when they were in their prime, they were ultra consistent. So they were always competitive and often that got their team to win. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. As well. Yeah, there's Slater the as well, too. Wave. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, the, the new wave of gun plane makers and key position players, and it's not as consistent, you know, making clear is meant to be the New South Wales half, and he's nowhere near, you know, the likes of JT or Cronk or anything like that in their prime. So I think, you know, in terms of consistency, in terms of what he can do, in terms of winning the game for his team, I think that's probably where it comes in as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a bit more scaling here and a little bit less measured than what you... Um, I thought the quality of football this year has been really bad. Um, the Honestly, like this would be the only year I can remember where we should have just had a top four and then just forgotten about the rest of the teams because that bottom four, that um, spot five through to eight, have played horrendous football and they haven't even had good patches um, this second half of the year. All, all of those teams, um, the Dragons um and the panthers in particular jesus and uh the warriors and the broncos have come good for a couple of weeks but none of them have played well um consistently for months Um, and it's just some of it's really really bad football to watch like if you watch these penrith games um two years ago you would think that they were battling it out for the spoon the way they've played at times um and and also likewise too like they've They've played to the level of sides that are battling it out for the spoon, where sides like the Cowboys and even the Eels and definitely the Raiders have like competed with them like they were on level pegging with them when they're really not. So the season's just been a real weird one, I reckon, where a lot of teams just haven't performed. Um, I don't think you get that very often. I think you might have hit the nail on the head with the, the rules. Um, the changing of the penalties and the interpretations, uh, I reckon that that took a lot of energy out of them. So I've got a little bit of a theory about this. might be a little bit far out, but hear me out and then you can call me crazy. Um, I think a lot of people um, disregard how much coaching and how much work these teams put into a season. Uh, so much so that when they know that there's you know, a change in... When they encounter something like the first few rounds, when there's a change in penalties, a change in interpretations, a change in the speed of the game, a change in possession rate, all of this stuff. Well, these teams go behind the scenes and work frantically to 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 change, to train differently, to implement new stuff, to learn, to train in different ways, um, different drills, all sorts of different stuff to try and compete um, with the changing game. And I reckon that that exerted a lot of energy physically, but also mentally as well. And then you come. You come through that period into the rep period, which is always very draining physically, and mentally for a lot of those teams as well. And I just reckon it was a recipe for disaster. I think that those teams have had to work so hard from round one, you know, through to round 18 for that Origin period, and also all the changes that were up and down, interpretations and stuff, and all the scrutiny. It's all just—it's all just been a mess. Um, and I just reckon the teams like the Dragons and the Panthers—you're seeing the byproduct of that now, where they're tired, they're worn down and you can see the fatigue of a season that's longer than what the rounds actually suggest.
0: Yeah, look, uh, I, I definitely agree that there's a lot more catching behind the scenes in terms of you know how the teams can manipulate and push the envelope when it comes to the rules. So, yeah, the, the, the inconsistency in how the rules are being applied um, or perhaps how much is being tolerated uh, probably has yeah messed with a couple of the teams and... Um, impacted how they've prepared and and obviously how they've played as a result.
1: Sin so as well.
0: Is. Sorry, what was
1: that? The sin as well. They um they've gone through the roof. That's yeah. changed the flow of the games a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't mind that though. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like the Sin Oh no! But yeah, no, I agree. It's terrible for real life
1: and for supercoach. How could you be a fan yeah. of
0: that? Well, it's just it, I mean, despite the the overall quality of the games being lower. I found there's been a lot more close games that I've enjoyed watching, and there's a lot less blowouts as well. So, I mean, that, that obviously hasn't been the case in the last couple of weeks, where there's been quite a few slogans. But across the whole year, I think you'll find there's been a lot more games won by a, a, a lesser margin than there were in you know the couple of years past. I mean, the fact that the Knights are now competitive, and you know, for three years there, yeah, they were, they were. You know, I'm sure all of us super coaches were targeting nights games yeah. for opposition players. You know, and you'd be loading up and captaining those guys. Um, that wasn't as reliable this year. Um, even even the you know the Eels were, were the, the the good targets for a while, and even that wasn't overly reliable the whole year. So I think the gap. Um, you know, it may have been at the fact of the overall quality of the football has been lower, but I think that's made for more exciting viewing, and that's why there's been such a close finish. I think, you know, in terms of the the ladder this year. So, I mean, I, I don't know what next year's going to bring. I think it's going to really depend on how this. Um, I mean, I think that the appointment of Graham Annesley and to be in charge of the rest. I think that's going to be interesting. That could be really uh, a big shake-up there. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for next year already, but obviously I'm really excited for the final series first.
1: Yep, I am as well. Did you have any other uh, mistakes or errors that you want to lament or was that pretty much everything on your list?
0: No, I think the the only other thing I I kind of mentioned before, like I was probably having too much fun trying to find pods and playing (laughs) the pods and things like that. Uh, I mean, I never had Jake Turbo, Tommy Turbo, and Holmes all year. Oof. So, I mean, it, I think it's yeah pretty clear why I didn't do so well this year. <laughs> you know, like those four guys, I mean, they literally were the top, you know, aside from Cook, they were some of the top um, averaging players for the year. So, yeah, shooting myself in the foot just for staying away from popular players and trying to go the pod route. So, I think next year I'm going to go back to um, playing it safe and I'm hoping to, yeah, restore a bit of pride in my name <laughs> Get a better result. So I finished in 5,736 this year, which is uh, my worst result for quite... I think it's my second worst overall result ever, even when I was playing head-to-head.
1: <laughs> well, it's all... at least you made me feel good because it's the first time I've beaten you, I think, so there we go. You did it all for me, Wilfred, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: That's all good. That's all good. I'll get you next year.
1: Yeah, you probably will. But um, let's move on to team of the year. Um, So going through, looking at the top 13 players for the 2018 season in review. Uh, Let's start off at the top and work our way down. Uh, At Hooker, um, this was one that was a really easy one. It's Damien Cook. He averaged 78 points per game. um, And he only missed out on uh, two games, uh, obviously, in Origin. Um, plus the buy, so he played a total of 22 games, um, and he played 80 minutes in the majority of them, aside from a few you know, early showers and stuff. He was an absolute revelation at Hooker, and he also uh, was 14 points better per game than what Cameron Smith was, so we're not talking about a small margin, we're talking about a huge margin of you know six, uh, 64 versus 78 points that Cook was putting up versus Smith, so... Just a phenomenal season and I I couldn't believe halfway through the year that um so many people still didn't have him.
0: Yeah, it was insane, wasn't it? I mean, I, surely he should have been at least seventy percent owned, but yeah, even at the end of the year I think it was fifty percent at most.
1: Yeah, it was um it was definitely low and he ended up being a really good captaincy choice, um, for most of the year and he was a guy that um was really consistent too. He's 78 points. You know, you've got guys like Luttrell who didn't average, obviously 78, but average mid-60s. But you'll throw up a, a few 20 30s and then sort of hit in gear and score a ton. Cook was super consistent. Yes. So he, he only failed to hit 50 once the whole time. Uh, and that was only three weeks ago against the Broncos where he hit 41 points. The rest of the time, he's hit 50 plus every single week. Um, and he's seventy-seven percent of the time actually scored sixty plus, which is just phenomenal. And I don't want to, I don't want to go crazy about him, Wilfred. But I am having thoughts back to uh, the prior god of Super Coach from the Broncos, that I'm sure you love, Corey Parker, and the consistency that he had, and also uh, Paul Gallant in his prime as well. He looks like uh, the sort of load that could just continue on and be one of the best Super Coach players for the next.
0: Half a decade, at least. Yeah, look, I mean, if he's going to be this fast, I mean, the speed out of that half is just ridiculous. Plus, he was hard in defence, so He's always got a good baseline of about, you know, 35 to 40 tackles thereabouts, and then he loves a run. So as long as his forwards are moving forward and gets him a quick play to ball, he's, he's off, and that's another two points to the score. So he's, um, you know, that's why he's got that four of 50, I think. So he's uh, had a 51 so, base yeah yeah so just tackles and runs alone that's ridiculous and then yeah I mean he's obviously got the attacking upside the the line breaks and tries this and he's, he's obviously pretty good at in with his um, service out of dummy half as well so yeah look uh, I you know we I mean cervico just saw this like when he was playing for the bulldogs um it's just boggles the mind that it took so long for him to actually get his crack in, and in first grade, to actually be the starter. And that's all it took. I mean, Seabold finally saw it, put him in, and obviously <laughs> the rest they say, hands' history.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a phenomenal um, year from Cook. It'll go, and there really isn't anyone else to talk about there. He won that. Definitely sh- um, should have been owned by everybody. Uh, moving down the front row forward, a little bit more controversy here. It was a position that wasn't as deep this year, which I think everybody kind of saw. There was a lack of jewels between second row and front row forward too. Guys like Gow that were there before weren't front row forward eligible. Um, The guys that finished on top of it, though, Andrew Fafita um, finished on top at a 68-point average per game. Um, Had some phenomenal um, games during the season. Uh, Had uh, only the one tonne. But uh, he went more than half his games were over 60 points. He was a little bit up and down. Um, his minutes were as well. But 68 um, definitely made him the top prop. Uh, coming in almost five points behind him um, was... or oh, four points behind him, sorry, was uh, Marty Tapao. So Marty Tapao ended up um, averaging 64.7 points for the season. Um, and he's another guy that was uh, pretty consistent... Um, Definitely a front row forward staple. Did you have both of these guys? I mean, for me, I had Fafito early on and I actually sold him at a really good time when he wasn't going too well and I was pretty happy with that. And Tapao, I kept for most of the year.
0: Yeah, um, I started with Fafito, so I guess that was another good call. Yep. And yeah, I held him up until I think he was... It was rough. Actually, I sold him the week when... Aaron Woods got signed by the chef. So yeah. I just felt like he couldn't maintain his minutes because he'd been averaging such good minutes. So for me, Fita averaged, um, I mean, 72.3 up until um, the first buy. So that was great. And then um, I sold him uh, around 16, and yeah, I mean up until the point he'd averaged sixty eight point three. So there was a couple of weeks there we got injured and things like that, so... I think, uh, aside from the last three rounds, where he obviously went 74, 84, 85, so he had a big finish to the year. But that that was also with the stats in there as well. So he got a bit lucky to prop up his scores because I mean, think, on one of those weeks, he going take like 37 minutes, but he scored a try. So yep. he could have easily just left a 40 point score. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was a mistake to trade him out. I just think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year because. Obviously, Woods is there now, and he, towards the back end, he was settling in for a good 55, 60 minutes off the bench. Yeah, um,
1: it makes it yeah, a bit
0: I hard. Had the yeah, yeah, um, and then, sorry, just to talk to Martin's power, I brought him in uh, around 10 and held him for the rest of the year, so not as early as I could have gotten in, but um, obviously, you know, he was, he was a must just because of how bad the Front Way Forward was, because I think you look at the next best option there, uh, I think you had to go around like Ryan James who averaged 62 and that's obviously with that crazy month in the middle where he probably averaged about 100 over that month.
1: Well, actually, a really, really interesting, um, sorry to interrupt you, a really interesting point with that. If you look at Jules, uh, Joe Tappany was actually the third best prop you could own at 63.1 points per game. So that actually speaks to... The decimation of prop probably more than how good Joseph tappany was this
0: year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't not a good position. So I think behind centre wing, obviously, um, the, the front row, the front row forwards was um, a difficult position to navigate. So having Fifita and power and I think maybe even Sammy Um those three were probably most people's staple front, front row forwards. Rotation, so I think that was how people navigated that part.
1: Yeah, I had that um, rotation for most of the year, along with Kikau up there. Um, and Kikau, um, like a lot of those mid-range guys that ended up being keepers, dropped off quite a bit in the back third of the year. Um, and someone like um, Burgess, I was quite happy to have, but you know he only averaged sixty odd points uh, for the season, um, which was, I think, one of his worst seasons that he's had in SuperCoach. Um, Actually, he's worst season, so he averaged 60 points. The season prior was 65, 75, 89, so there's been a pretty bad decline, but being front row forward, he was still really handy, so I think we've probably got to cross our fingers that next year he's still a prop. Yep, um,
0: it'll be interesting to see how they go about the dual conditioning for the yeah. well, I mean, I liked. It was frustrating at times, but I liked overall the how it's played out because it forced people to take, take more pods and. You know, made sure that not everyone's team was the same. So it's interesting to see how next year looks.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, one of the, the positions that were a lot stronger, though, than um, the depth that we had at Hooker and Front Row Ford was definitely the second row spot. So the top guys there, um, kind of expected. Um, Jake Travojevic was number one. He had a great season, averaged 71 points. He was the best guy to own. Um, And then uh, Tom Malolo had a really good return to form after probably um, a bit of a slower start for the money that he was worth, Uh, and then he really ramped up. He came in um, with his average of 70 a game. Um, And then uh, Crichton, who you got on, was just a shade under 70 points a game. So they were the top three. Um, I had two out of the three in Tom and Gerbo. Uh, missed out on Crichton, and you had Crichton and, and Tom Malola and missed out on Gerber. Yep. Definitely.
0: I I um, had a... One of my last trades was to bring in Jai Arrow instead of Jake, um, and I regret that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so it was my third last trade. So it was a 50-50 coin toss, and I decided... Um, I, I just figured Ara was going to be the more consistent player because he had been such a PPM gun like, and playing bigger and bigger minutes up until then and then he got hurt. So that was not great. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was tough and I remember
1: you trade narrow out and I um, I was banging the drum just to hold him and see what happens and I I was happy I held him but he became someone who was hard to play because he kept having injuries and that last month wasn't fantastic for him but um, interesting stat. Those are our top three. I think that all three of those guys are going to be up there for next year in um, Jerbo, Lolo, and Crichton. So that is probably a position that makes sense for our team of the year. But the guy that just missed out, the fourth second rower that didn't get in the starting side, um, Reese Martin, gets an honourable mention. So Crichton was at 69-something points um, and Reese Martin was at 68 points on his average. So for a guy that was uh, just a cheapie um, to get in to cash out, he ended up being um, a, a bit of a gun and somebody that you're going to have to look at as a gun status for next year when we're considering our team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's 67 on an average. That's including a 10 um, because he got injured. So take that out. He's 72.2, so definitely gun status. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, he, he would be very hard to, um, to go past for next year if he's going to still be king goals as accurate as he did. Um, and obviously still playing
1: 80 minutes on that left edge. Yep. And he only missed, um, I think up until last weekend, he'd only missed one goal all year, which is just insane. I couldn't believe it when the commentators talked about it. Of course, after they talked about it, he missed his next goal, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that was always going to happen. Yeah. Um, let's move I on. Think to think just the two all season. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. It's up there with um, some of the best goal kicking we've ever seen, and he didn't have a massive amount of attempts during the year because of the games that he played, but he still had half a season worth of attempts, so he's definitely a sharp shooter. Um Shades of Corey Parker, if you can get his tackle rate up a little bit and a few offloads going. He um, he could be the, the second coming of Corey Parker, so there is some hope with a few of these guys that, you know, with the old guns going down and retiring and leaving and stuff, that we might have a few guys stepping up, I think. But um, let's move on to the halves. Um, mate, we've got... Um, We'll talk about all the halves together um, because we've actually put SJ at 5'8 because he's 5'8 eligible and the best 5'8 by a mile. So our halves uh, are actually tied on exactly the same points, which doesn't happen very often. So both Daly Cherry Evans and Nathan Cleary have the same average of 61.7 points a game. Uh, Both of them had um, up and down years, I guess, um, and both of them had kicking... Um, for a lot of the year, but also taken away for some of the games as well, so 61.7 points for our top halfbacks, that's um, it's fair to say that's a bit of a down year for Super Coach purposes as well
0: Yeah, definitely you know, I you kind of think that because of the whole world changes and everything like that um, you know, flow and effect from that because the balls and play less and less fatigue, less points scored I mean, I don't know, in this um, just, you know, brainstorming potential reasons for that. But, you know, definitely a big drop-off. It's, I think, you know, previously the big halves are 65-plus easy in terms of the average, um, you know, up to 70 or, or thereabouts for, for the real premium options. So it's been quite a while since your highest averaging um, halfbacks is they will be in the low 60s.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think some of that was the demise of JT as well. He only averaged fifty five in his final season. Um, I was thinking he was going to average at least sixty, so I saw a lot of value in starting with him, and it didn't quite work out. Um, but Nathan Cleary, we'll just chat about him for a sec before we move on. One of the halves of the year, he um, he did up until the last game of the season have a six game run where he averaged at least he, he scored at least sixty eight points every game, and out of those six games. Um, he scored 70-plus in five out of the six, and he scored 80-plus in three out of the six. He was absolutely on fire, um, averaging 80-odd points across that run. And realistically, if it wasn't a, a bad last-round game against the Storm, he probably would have gone on with it. He had a pretty terrible game that game and still managed 38 points. He he looked like if he has a goal-kicking next year, um, he will be one of the halves to have and the 60 1.7 average is probably a bit of a disservice to how good he was um, taking on the fact that he had that injury as well. He looks like he's a guy that's probably a 70 average rather than
0: 61.7. Yeah, look, I have to agree. Cause, um, if you look into the stats a bit more, there is, in part of his average, there's a game where he only played half the game and he scored 13. So if you take that out here, um, he jumps up to 65.1. Um, and then, obviously, there's a Number of games there where he wasn't goal kicking, and that that obviously is a big part of his baseline. I mean that that period where he wasn't goal kicking, he was, he um, was averaging only forty six point six during that time. Yeah, you know, there was one game there that's in and everything like that. So, yeah, a, the goal kicking. I mean, he's such an active kicker that it's uh, a big part of his flaw. So, I mean. He also makes plenty of tackles and um, that, that obviously helps with his base stats as well. So when he's got the kicking, when he's got his tackles up, he's in a safe 40, 45-plus average and then, you know, throw in any attacking stats that he gets. So he's definitely got one of the highest scores of all the catch halves. So he'll be very um, very tempting to start with next year.
1: Yep, definitely. Um, looking at 5'8", We do have Sean Johnson there, like I said, because he qualifies as both a 5'8 and a half, and realistically, he was the best 5'8 by a mile. He averaged 64 points, but he's another um, attacking player who saw his average plummet, Um, and it's definitely a a trend in the halves, where a lot of halves had significantly worse years than what they had previously. So if the game keeps going that way, um, the halves might be a bit of a tricky position, but 64-point average this year, 72 points last year, and prior to that, 69, 71, 69. So he has been solid as a rock for around a 70 average for uh, a number of years, and he's basically had a 10% cut in that productivity for this season. Um, definitely a tail of two halves. The stats are really interesting for SJ. His first seven games of the season, um, he only scored below 74 points once. In his first seven games. He did miss uh, six games during that time as well from injury. But it was remarkable that um, he had six out of seven at 74 plus, And also five out of seven uh, at 82 plus. So he was on a remarkable run. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's a bit of a running joke for the guys that know me. Um, I've actually never owned SJ for a good run, ever, the whole time. So this is the third time that I've bought him now, and this is, this is not—I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating. This is the third time I've bought him where I've held off and I haven't wanted to get him in, and I've relented because he's been so good, and he's gone through the floor as soon as I did. So round 15 gets the Cowboys, got him in. He came off his seven-game average of uh, around about 86 points and put in a 44-point effort against the cows, and he read 44, 52, 17, 54, 29. And then I had to wait two months before he hit 60 points. So it was quite a remarkable, uh, quite remarkable work by me to kill SJ again for the third time in four years, um, getting him in and having his season just go completely downhill. Um, did you own him from the start or get him in early or where did you end up with SJ in your team? I actually didn't bring him in until quite late as well. Um, I,
0: just, I didn't start with him either. Um, I started with JT and Milford, so... I put him in round 14, so one round before you did. So, thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. At least
0: I got him for his 95 <laughs> against the sea Eagles.
1: Yeah, I, um, I had to wait until you, round I was, 24 I was for that.
0: About, I was thinking about why his average is down this year, and it, I would say it's a lot to do with the fact that the Warriors were generally more controlled this year. Uh, I think if we'll get this stat, I think... The Warriors are one of the, you know, the best. Um, so, one of the teams in the comp who've got the highest rate of completion, and you know, they've obviously still been getting that balance of you know, playing their Warriors style footy, where they offload heaps and you know have great attack, yeah. but also being willing to tough it out, grind it out, and get their defensive attitude right, which I think they've gotten right for most of this year. And that's been I would say that's probably a, a reason why they're not trying they're not trying to score in every play, and SJ's not doing his touch footy run runs through the middle of you know the field, trying to score a try from from side of halfway they they're happy to slowly build the pressure and Blake Green will take the ball and kick it um, you know over the sideline on the last and you know that that probably means that there's less time where Johnson's got the ball. And then, you know, can run attacking plays out of his own end or whatever. So I think that's probably why he's gotten, you know, a bit of a drop in his attacking stats overall. Um, but it's, I think it's also why he's, he's imp- improved his consistency for some parts of the year because they've been able to play that, you know, style of footy effectively, sort of getting the ball and being able to build pressure. So he's getting more consistent attacking stats, just not you know, big, um, you know, he'll go for runs where he'll score 40 points in a play because they've bust, you know, seven tackles and yep. um, get the line break, score a try or something on the way to the, you know, as he dances through half the team on the way to try, score a <laughs> try. So, yeah, less of that. But um, obviously, I think, yeah, it's, it's good for the Warriors overall, but not ideal for SJ participation points.
1: Yeah, the Hards in general were pretty bad this year. Um, so... Be interesting next year what happens, but this next position uh, was really bad. So, center wing, um, just on averages, I'm going to say, it you know, was the worst season ever in Supercoach quite easily. So, the top center wing players in order, um, we've got Valentine Holmes, finished number one. Uh, he averaged 67 points a game. Um, and then you had Fergo, a um, little bit behind him, but really solid season on 65. Uh, And then a little bit of a drop-off to Mitchell, uh, who was around 63. And then um, Earthside Masters as the fourth-best centre wing. Barely managed to get a 60 average. He got there, uh, but it was a bit of a struggle. Um, So it's always been uh, sort of, you know, 60 points that you're looking at for your centre wing guns. And this year, we only barely got four guys that managed to average 60-plus to actually put in your starting centre wing. Uh, the fifth and sixth best center wing, like I mentioned, um, they they did not even average 60 points. And they were also Robert Jennings and Will Hoppolardi, which is crazy. So the other stats, just to repeat them, um, we had only six center wings in the top 50, uh, which is just absolutely insane to me. We had to get to the 32nd best player on averages until we got our fourth center wing into the starting 13 for Supercoach Team of the Year. So that tells you what a terrible dumpster fire position Centrelink was this
0: year. Yeah, I mean, compared to 2017, um, there were 12 guys with a 60-plus average, so... And now we've got four. A drop off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so, you know, there's Benavalu, Robert Zofaluma, I guess Jerome Hughes, Tim Laffayette, Monster, Jaffo, uh, Angus Triton-Rapana, and Trevorinovich, so plenty of names, but obviously we've lost a couple because they're no longer dual positions. But um, I mean, I can see why there's a bit of a drop off, but still, such a, a sharp drop because you know, these guys are averaging 70 plus. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, scraping 60 as your gun. Yeah, definitely not
1: ideal. Well, there's pretty much in um, front row forward the halves, and center wing, in those three positions in Supercoach this year, there's basically a 10% point drop-off, which is pretty crazy, and it's a really big hit in three positions, um, and it's probably why Supercoach played so much havoc with a lot of coaches. Um, another point that I wanted to make it with the center wing too, with this team of the year, I think all four of these guys could have easily not averaged 60 points. Um, so, Valentine Holmes, was the first half of the season was basically a 50 average type of player um, before he busted out and went absolutely nuts. Um, Average, I think you said, 88 points for the last dozen games of the season. Um, So, and then Fergo and Mitchell, they're two guys that could definitely just average, you know, below 60, um, only just got over there with a few big games. And Ursan Masters lived in. You know, he could easily be a 55 average next year. So it doesn't really bode very well for... Settling stocks next year, either when the only four guys that averaged 60 plus this year, yeah, really, they any any of them could have just continued on how they were looking at the start and probably only averaged you know 59 points or something.
0: Yeah, it's been really, really um, interesting how this is such a big drop. I was also looking at um, you know, the overall points scored this year, so I know we've got one less round, um, but obviously, we've also had one less big buy round as well, so. The winners the winner scored twenty eight thousand four hundred and two points this year. Um, which you know obviously still is a really nice total. But I mean even just comparing to twenty sixteen, obviously I remember that year a bit more. I'm <laughs> um, pretty sure for that year I scored um thirty thousand plus. so it was a good two thousand point difference. Yeah. Um, in, in overall scores. So even if you gave, say, you know, twelve hundred points or whatever for the extra round, you know, that's still a good 8,900 point difference um, across the, the whole season. And that's you know, with the extra buy round as well for, for, for our years. So uh, it's, it's obviously had a major impact. Whatever happened this year has definitely impacted the Supercoach scores. So the question I think you've got to work out before on the start of next year is whether it's going to continue. Um, or whether it's going to a change again. So do you be really interesting to see how that plays
1: out. Yeah, I need to correct myself as well. I made a small error. Um, there was another centre uh that was just outside the top four, which was Wanger Blake. Um, so he actually averaged 59 points a game. Um, so I need to mention okay. him because he was just in front of uh, Robert Jennings. So um, Wanger Blake was actually there, and then Hopper, and then Jennings. Um, and Blake actually was a guy that we pinpointed as a good... Um, a good pod and he actually went on a really good run for that back half of the year. But um, he's another guy that you couldn't rely on to get near 60 again potentially next year, so. Send a wing next year, mate. I reckon it's just back to uh, going the uh, the cashies. Again, trying to get the cheap guys in and just building your team everywhere else. I think that's what this team of the year is telling us.
0: Yeah, but I can't, can't argue with that, sadly at this stage, for sure. Um, Plus, we're probably gonna lose our teams as an option as well, so even less um, settling on the eligible guys who we can pick.
1: Yeah, and Valentine Holmes deserves a shout-out because he's had one of the, um, I've mentioned it before, it's one of the greatest super coach comeback seasons of all time. I've never, in memory, I can't remember anyone who um, had a first half a season looking like they always have where they're basically struggling to be a 50-point average guy. And then in the second half of a season completely changing and averaging 88 points. You know, like, you're talking about almost doubling your super coach average between the first half of the season to the second half. It's... um, I don't remember anybody doing that. Can you remember any type of turnaround like that? Not
0: at all. It's ridiculous. Um, I mean, just looking at it again, okay, first eight games, 34.9 average. That's crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that was, I think, when he was a winger. Yeah. Um, primarily. And then, yeah, from... from Around 9 or 10 onwards, I think, yes, 80-plus average,
1: easy. Yeah, and it's, you know, the other thing too is that he's played fullback back in, in years prior. Like, guys bring that up and say, oh, yeah, but he moved to full-back. He's played fullback years prior. He's only averaged 50 to 55 at full-back, even in his good years um, when yeah. he's done it. So, yeah, I mean, right. he's not, he's never done this before. Um, which, you know, if you look at his averages, just to finish on Valentine Holmes, he's the number one centre for sure, averaging 67 uh, points a game. Prior to that, his averages were 51, 49, 46, 45. And last year, he played a fair bit of fullback for those 51-point average. So there is a very decent chance that he might be a trap next year to start with with the um, the cost that he's going to be in your round one team. So it might be a bit of a rapana yeah. type of uh, year next year where a lot of a lot of guys jump on him thinking he's the best option. And he just kills you because it, it might just be a complete anomaly this year. Um, although... I think that's probably a little bit unfair. He's probably improved his game quite a bit, but geez, it's it's such a big difference. Yeah,
0: he, he definitely learned how to. He's definitely learned how to pass a bit better. Um, his support play was incredible, and I mean, just looking at the last five rounds, which is when he picked up the goal kicking. Yep he literally averaged 100
1: of <laughs> just, just stop it just uh, stop it I don't yeah. I don't want to hear about him it anymore it's, it's, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's just bad it's depressing isn't it <laughs> it is the most depressing thing in Supercoach I remember um, ever playing as far as a play that I've missed out on um, so let's move on to fullback mate um, and we'll wrap it up on that because fullback was definitely a position that was extremely good um, for the top few players so Travojevic managed to get it again, um, so he averaged seventy four points a game, um, and a lot of that came off a really big finish. So, to be fair, with four rounds to go, he wasn't going to be the number one fullback and super coach, uh, but he threw out one hundred and eleven and then one hundred and ninety four in back to back weeks in round twenty two and twenty three. Um, and can you believe that he's got three three tons? Uh, sorry, four tons, which read one fifty eight. One fifteen, one eleven, and one ninety four. So, you, know, <laughs> you, you basically can't leave Turbo out. Like, this year I went, I'm going to leave Turbo out. I'm going to go Ponga and Teddy. And then I went, you know, Turbo's not having a great year. I'm going to go Ponga to RTS. And you just can't do it because he's good for four or five of those massive games every year, and you just have to own him for him. It's. Ridiculous.
0: He's, I mean, he's so good with in hand, like, and, and surface is mainly a goes for him. And I think, you know, sometimes they just have no idea what to do and they're supposed to be board and, and see what they can do. And <laughs> more often than not, it's something ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah, I can certainly understand why. I mean, I, I tried to play the pod and, and it didn't work out. So, well, I mean, you he's so expensive though, like, he's you going to fork it out from the start?
1: I don't know. Next year, I'm going to think about it. I mean, a couple of things to consider with Turbo. Um, one of them is he—he averaged—he he got sixty plus points less than what he did last year. Last year, sixty four percent of the time he was sixty plus. This year, it was only fifty nine percent, and thats, that's a five percent difference. Is quite a big swing. Um, on top of that, he averaged—he got below fifty probably more times this year um, than last year. He Probably had four or five of those games. So I didn't think the consistency was there this year. Um, one of the reasons that I stayed away from him a little bit. Uh, And the other thing too is that Manly is just, um, who knows what's going to go on there? Like, I mean, they might even be a different team in a year. You know, like, it's just, it's a real hard one to spend 750K on him or something that he'll start out next year um, with all those question marks. Um, I think that I'll probably wait and just have him as one of my first big purchases that I'll make.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just for, for enough to take away obviously from, from what he can do. At the end of the day, like when you've got potentially two goal kicking fullbacks in Holmes and Ponga, they're gonna deliver you a much higher floor. Um, and you know, the, the ceiling is obviously quite high as well. I think it might be it still could be a viable strategy to sit them and go with the goal kickers. I mean just look looking at this so Ponga obviously only averaged about 65, 66 for the year. But that includes his concussion game where he scored five. And he obviously lost to kicking for a number of games. So he's putting all of that out. the 13 games, he was goal-fishing four and playing fullback. Um, he scored 71.4 as his average. So yeah. very much on the same level. And that's playing for the Knights. And the Knights, I think, are getting get better again next year. So I really think that could be yeah, I think it it's it's not. I mean, assuming he keeps the golfing, obviously he loses it. Then that's a different story. But he's golfing again, that's certainly a reason to to really think about uh, Pommer over Trebiņič or even Teddy.
1: Yep, um, agreed. Um, one thing that I will mention as an honorable mention: Teddy uh, was the number one fullback up until the final um, month of the season. Uh, so, Turbo had a 73.9 average, rounded up to 74. Teddy had a 73.6 average, rounded up to 74. So, Teddy was was just as good, basically. Um, and, obviously, he finished on that 180 points at the end, so he had that big game. But he himself had um, four big tons, 180, 108, 113, 113. Um, and he also settled in from the midway point really well. So, even though he had a 74 average um Probably from sort of um, post-origin, that was more like a 88 average. So he was right up there um, on averages uh, as far as the best players in the game. Um, the other thing with Teddy that I like as well, he's going to be cheaper than what Turbo's going to be next year. But he also definitely had that fitting in period for the first half of the season with the Roosters. And now I think he's he's definitely fit fitting. Um, another far-out theory that I'll throw to you with uh, Teddy as well is... Blake Ferguson took a lot of hit-ups for the Roosters last year. Everybody knows that. Well, this season, I should say. Um, And he's going to be gone next year. Um, And they're going to have Brett Morris on that wing at the moment. He's not a guy that takes a handoff from the fullback to take a hit-up. Tupo is, so Tupo will do his ones. But I tend to think that um, Teddy might tuck the ball and go more than what he was before. Um, And he might even go in for some more hit-ups and stuff. So... I can see some upside in him getting a bit more acclimatised and stuff for next year. So uh, if I was choosing between him and Turbo, both had identical years. The is be the better team, I think I'd side with Teddy. Yeah, it's
0: just really difficult. Obviously, Manly, yeah, I'm doing very well. Um, I guess just to throw out a little bit of a play devil's advocate briefly. So if you take out Trubovic's, um last game, Obviously, he had the HIA after about half an hour or so, so um, take that out, and he averaged 76.4, I think, um, which is, you know, that's a three-point difference to his average. Um, obviously, like, he does play for the Eagles, so who knows what they're going to look like next year, who's yeah. going to coach them the starters. So a lot of uncertainty there. Um, also, yeah, what, what, what you're saying with Virgo taking hit-ups, yeah, absolutely but Teddy also benefited off that because he often took the hit-up afterwards. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, with play a ball off Fergo, and, you know, he'll, he'll, his tackle bus chances are higher because he's got a retreating defensive line, you know, a couple of line breaks here and there off one of those hit-ups. So I think it'll even out overall. I don't think it'll have a huge difference, but certainly, um, you know, it's, it's something to think about. You know, those hit-ups have to go somewhere. Maybe Luttrell will finally take a couple
1: I don't think he will. He's way too lazy. <laughs> he's just, he's not into it. No, i into it Well, um, both those guys had a great year, though. So Teddy and um, Turbo both um, deserved to be in the team of the year for Supercoach. Pretty much finished identical. Um, did really well. So that's our Supercoach team of the year, Wilfred, and that's um, everything wrapped up. So um, I guess you're just going to have to put your feet up now and just wait until January, watch some semifinals without any Supercoach.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that, but I've also been roped into a couple of NFL draft leagues, so um, not not totally giving up the fantasy over the off season.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a complete NBA nut, so I've got like seven different NBA leagues, and there's um, three different formats out of or four different formats out of those seven leagues. So uh, that takes me forever. Like uh, the football season finishes, NBA season starts. That goes through the start of the um, Basically, the NRL season again, and then I'm on to the NRL full time. So, I'm a fantasy 24 7 for me. So, um, I'm getting excited for um, watching the semis without the super coach, but also the basketball starting up for me. So, yeah, I'm,
0: um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to seeing how this final season out. I think it'd be a really good one to watch.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for jumping on, on a few of the podcasts this year. It's been good to have a chat with you, mate. And, um, I'm sure we'll um, we'll reconvene in the pre-season in January and chat about some strategy and stuff and maybe get you on for a couple then. Yeah, no worries. It's been... uh, uh, You know, I always love having a talk about 40 and stuff. So thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. Enjoy the off-season. Yeah, you too. All right, guys. So that's the last podcast for the year. Thanks to everyone that's been um, tuning in and uh, sharing some grounded stuff. Obviously, you can still follow us on... NRL underscore SC underscore all-stars on Twitter. Uh, you'll be able to download some iTunes and also stream or download on SoundCloud. We will have some pre-season ones early next year. Coming out again, we'll bang out heaps of team previews and everything, a lot of content. Uh, so we will keep it going. Thanks for the feedback and stuff. Um, I do have a bit of a cold tonight, so sorry about my voice and stuff, but we wanted to pop out this um, final podcast for everyone so you can have a listen. Um, and good luck in the semi-finals for everybody. Hope your teams are in there. If not, um, good luck with the planning and we'll chat again in January. Thanks, guys.